Welcome in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2. As we are going to finish up our bringing in sermon series, and we look forward to uh, seeing what God's Word has for us today. Amen. It's good to see you. Good crowd again this week. Uh, speak well of worship. Amen. Invite people to church. Let them know we have room for them, room for them to spread out and uh, be, be here and be comfortable and safe, and we're still continuing to work on that end. Um, I do hope that, that we're able to get together tonight at Toyota Field and, uh, and really enjoy a, a time of fellowship. And as we, we continue to pray that God would protect us and use us, and uh, we look forward to that, Lord willing. And uh, again, if it were to rain us out, we'll make sure and let you know, but we're hoping that it don't. So we can play wiffle ball. Amen? All right. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we have, have looked in recent weeks as God's Word continues in the book of Philippians to, to preach towards us as a team, repetitively using the language together, saying together over and over consistently throughout chapters 1 and 2. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at every team has a reason, and the reason for the church is the glory of God, the good of man. We work together for God's glory. Uh, we've also looked at our name. Every team has a name. The scripture leads and points to that our name is citizens of heaven, that, that we represent the gospel, the good news of God to the world. Every team has opposition. If we are in Christ and in the world, we will have opposition. Self, Satan, and the world will come against those who are light in the darkness. We, we learn that we should not be intimidated by any spiritual opposition, any opposition we may have in this world, because the Scripture says we are being saved by God Himself. The Bible says that it is an honor, our honor for those who believe, to be saved and even to suffer, to suffer for Christ, because both of those things, salvation and suffering, are for God's glory in the life of a believer. Well, today in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is going to address our mindset He's going to teach us that every team has an attitude. Every team has an attitude. And to help us take notes, this is what we'll see in the Scripture. God's call, God's correction, and God's command. That's where we're headed today. And so let's begin with a call in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make, my, my, then make me... Truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Many teams create a slogan. By the way, it's football season, by the way, just to let y'all know. Uh, and thank goodness for a little bit of normalcy. We got to watch some football this, this weekend. Some of you may not care at all. I understand that too. But, but if a lot of times, not just football teams, but a lot of coaches, even a lot of churches will have a mantra for the year. They'll have something that they abide by to set their team's focus and attitude from start to finish of a season. I've seen things like focus, fight, finish. I've seen things like pride and passion, reach higher, lock in. What's the one from Friday Night Lights, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, something like that. Like that's, that's what we're talking about here. An attitude set by a few simple words. And, and what you see in here in the scripture in Philippians chapter 2 is the Apostle Paul is going to do that. He's going to remind us of our name, our fight, our reason, and he's going to give us one of those mantras, and here it is, church, are you ready? Here it is, bringing it on this. Humble yourselves. That's it. It doesn't seem like a big fight against opposition with something like humble yourselves, does it? Humility, humble yourselves. This is what we see repetitively in 
the Scripture. Again, this doesn't seem like there's a, a mantra for a winning team that's desiring to defeat opposition, but this is where the Scripture takes us as we are in this fight against Satan's self and the world. And as we consider the idea of humbling ourselves together as a team, let me, let me throw this out at you. This I believe to be the toughest thing that anyone can endure. It is the following. The toughest thing that any of us can undertake is for us to submit our will to the will of another. The toughest thing that any of us can accomplish, any of us can do, is to submit our will to the will of another. And all the married people said amen, right? Toughest thing for any employee to do is to submit your will to the will of another. Toughest thing for any student to do is to submit your will to the will of another. The toughest thing that any of us can do is to lower ourselves and to to submit ourselves to the will of another. Let's pray together. Lord, would you have your way in us? Would you talk to us plainly? Spirit of God, would you guide us into all truth? Lord, I pray that we would not only be just hearers of the word, but doers also. Lord, that your word would jump off the page into our hearts and get to our hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's what I'd like for you to do. This is really weird, and and we may never do this again. But if you brought your phone in here today, I want you to take your phones out. I want you to turn the ringer on and the volume up, okay? Take your phones out, turn the ringer on, turn the volume up, and then I want you to go into your alarms. I want you to go to your alarms, and I want you to set an alarm for 10.08. I'm sorry, that would be tomorrow. Set 1058. Set your alarms for 1058. Everybody got it? 1058 a.m., alarm set. When your alarm goes off, let her go. All right? All right, hang with me. Here we go. Paul begins in Philippians chapter 2, and he's asking four questions. These four questions are not for us to answer with our own interpretation. These, these questions are for us to answer with the uh, resounding yes. So church, I'm going to ask you these questions. Are you ready to go? Question one, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Amen. Is there any comfort from his love? Amen. Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Amen. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? <laughs> it ought to be. Amen. All right. That's all. That's always the question that we're like, it should be. Amen. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, we covered this on Wednesday night. God says of his own work in those who believe, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. If you want to see a modern day miracle, watch a lost man get saved. Because what happens is, is God takes that selfish, prideful heart and he changes it and makes it pliable. To submit their will to the will of another. Now what Paul is going to do here. Is he's going to ask us these questions. That we say yes to. To remind us of who we are. And what we have in Christ. So that we'll be inclined to buy into it. When he tells us what we need as the church. So he's setting this foundation. Yes is the answer to all these questions. Now here's what you need in verse 2. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. It's the joy of the leader when the team, organization, and church is in unity. Let them go. Let them go for just a second. Isn't that cool? Now turn them off. Now turn your ringer off and your volume down, right? 
My, oh, say, here we go. <laughs> Every, I'll call my dad. My sister's here. Well, I'll call my dad and, and be like, hey, daddy. And he'd be like, hey. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, you called me in the middle of a meeting. I said, why'd you answer? Turn your phone off, man. Think about what just happened. When we agree, when we love, when we work together, someone once said that the church is to be like clocks that strike at the same moment. All on the same page. Do you realize how we got there? Everybody set their alarm for a certain time. The alarms went off and chimed out at a certain time. Do you realize how that happened to begin with? We all humbled ourselves before the same voice. Before the same voice, we took instruction. Before the same voice, we humbled ourselves. Before the same voice and under the same voice, we set it to alarm at a certain time, and it did. We've got all these voices talking in our head right now. I'm one of them. I'm a talking head. We've got all these voices that are coming through the news and social media and all these things. Now, how is the church to stay on the same page? How is the church supposed to serve the same way? How are our hands, feet, and mouths supposed to look the same way? Well, it happens when we all humble ourselves under the same voice. If we will allow God to have each and every one of our days, we'll all be on the same page. I talked to a guy this week I have so much respect for. He and I probably are, are looking through life at a, of a different cultural lens. And it seems like every time we end the conversation, we're on the same page. And the reason for that is because we got the same master. That's why. Because at the end of the day, we got to humble ourselves to the same voice. And when we are in unity, leadership rejoices. That's, that's what Paul's saying. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Loving one another, agreeing together, working together. Look at the scripture. This is what it says. It uses the words agreeing together, like-minded, of the same mindset. We are bonded in Christ. We are rooted in his word. Now, you can't be rooted in his word if you're not in his word. Let me tell you that. And, and this morning is not good enough. It's good, but it's not good enough because it may not last Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Get, get in the word of God. To know the word of God, to be rooted in the word, we must read the word of God. Agreeing together, like-minded. And then it uses the language loving one another. Now this word for love here is agape love. It's the kind of love that, that is, is not void of emotion, but it's definitely like grounded on emotion. Are you hearing me? It's not the kind of love that is expectant of love to be returned. This is the kind of love that God's love mentions in 1 John chapter 5. Not that we love God, or in 1 John, it may be either 1 or chapter 5, but it's in there in 1 John. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave himself for us. See, this is the kind of love that works. It's the kind of love that, that, that makes its way to you and doesn't even expect you to respond to it or receive it or reciprocate it. That's the kind of God, that's the kind of love that God's love is. The kind of love that God gives. The kind of love that is in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And many would not be saved but rejected. But God gives it anyway because it's a reasoned out love. It's thought of to begin with before it's ever received or reciprocated. Families, marriages, church members, agape loves, loves because it's supposed to, and the way to do it, and it does selflessly, even whether or not it's going to be given back or not. That's, a God, that's the kind of love we're talking about right here. You're going to hold the door for, open for someone, whether or not they look at you and smile at you or not. See, this is what we do, though. We see people, and we acknowledge people, and we shake our head at people, we smile at people, and hold the door open, and we expect them to give us a little something back. Are you with me? And can I say something on that? It's appropriate that you do say thank you. Matters will go a long way. 
Manners will go a long way. But love gives it regardless. Love, get, love doesn't do it so we'll get a response out of it. Love does it because that's what comes from the inside to the outside. This, this agape love, again, that is founded in the decision to love regardless of whether it comes back. And then the scripture uses working together. Working together is relative to the one accord purpose. Like, this is what we're on the grind for. This is what we do. We work for the glory of God. Did you know that there's a purpose for this evening if we get to have it? The purpose for this evening is, yes, for us to fellowship with the purpose of getting to know one another, but it's to bring somebody into that fellowship through a low-level event like getting out on a trash panda's baseball field and playing wiffle ball. Don't come along. Bring somebody with you. See, there's purpose in it when there's outreach in your values. There's purpose in the night of connecting with somebody outside of your family to get to know them and they can get to know you so you can help pray for them and they can pray for you and you can meet these together because the church that's going to work together needs to know each other. See, this, this is purpose in the things that we do. Working together, one accord purpose, agreeing, loving, working together. How does this happen? It happens when we humble ourselves under the same voice. The correction, that's the call. The correction in verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You know, there's sometimes where you could come in here, I read a few scriptures, and you can go on back home because the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. I'm serious about that. I really believe today, if you came in, now it would go against every preference you got and every expectation. But if you walked in, Brother Bradley came up, he prayed over the offering, told you about how you can give, we worshiped together. I got up here and read verses 3 and 4 and said, I'll see you next week. I, I wholeheartedly believe God could take that and do whatever he wanted to with it. Don't be selfish. How about that? Anybody here need that? Come on. Boy, y'all some selfless folks. I'm telling you. I need the Lord to tell me straight up, hey man, don't be selfish. How about that? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Don't look out only for your own interests. How many of you, this is a weird transition, how many of you have ever seen the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? All right, because if you hadn't, this illustration means nothing to you, okay? Most of us have seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Most of us know that it's on TV every single day. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about the one that's recently that's really weird and Johnny Depp's in it. I'm talking about the one from the 70s. Are you with me? The one from the 70s that we all know and love. Uh, a lot of our teachers showed it around Christmas time in school because that's what you do at school, like around Christmas time and show videos. I'm just kidding. I know a lot of teachers don't do that. Uh, but, but we used to watch that movie and, and if you, if you know the theme of, of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, there's five golden tickets around the world. You open up candy bars, which is definitely a great way to get people to buy chocolate. But you open up candy bars, and if there's a golden ticket in there, you get to go to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And not only do you get to go there, but you are promised chocolate for a lifetime. What a deal, right? Five tickets all over the world. But the five children that tour the factory at some point throughout are dismissed. They receive the ticket to get in. They're all going together. But at some point, they're all dismissed. One by one, the group begins to fall apart, and the end result is compromise. Why are they dismissed? Because while they are under the authority of the owner and in the presence of the group going towards the goal, here's what happened. They all began to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. And when you begin to do what you want to do when you want to do it and you're a part of a group, 
It's not going to happen like we thought. Augustus drinks from the chocolate river. What are you doing? Right? He just told you. Don't be selfish, Augustus. Augustus is in the chocolate river. Violet becomes a blueberry. Charlie and Grandpa Joe. Charlie and Grandpa Joe, they drink the lifting elixir. It raises them up towards the fan. It's spinning. They burp. It comes back down. This movie's really weird. Again, I also find it interesting and also weird that Grandpa Joe was the only one of the four grandparents that get up out of the bed when the news is announced at the chocolate factory. Like the rest of the three, I'm like, great. And for some reason, Grandpa Joe was healed by this news. Regardless, they get selfish. They get selfish and they start drinking this elixir and all of a sudden... And then there's Veruca. Veruca's the worst, man. Veruca's the worst. She wants to, to become... Or, or There's those alarms. I knew it would happen. V- Veruca is, is desiring the golden goose, even so much that she goes into a garbage chute for it. And her dad, I believe, goes in with her. And then you got Mike, who wants to try on Wonka Vision. He makes himself small. Now he's in a TV. His mom's freaking out. Like, this is all happening. And it all starts because they get selfish. They do what they want to do when they want to do it. And yes, I know that Charlie passes the morality test at the end. I know that happens, and that's great and all that. But again, the group went in together for a purpose at the end, and they all started breaking off because they got selfish. And really, the only one that that was standing at the end was the one that made a selfless decision. He would not give over that gobstopper. (laughs) Whatever. Again, this means nothing to you if you've not seen it. It'll be on TV this afternoon if y'all want to watch it. I promise. (laughs) The enemy, the enemy of humility is what? It's selfish pride. The enemy of humility is selfish pride. And as Paul is exhorting the church, he's going to make it real plain with three don'ts that are relative to selfishness. Again, the the, the enemy to unity in our homes and our places of business and certainly in our church is selfishness, selfish pride. Because the enemy of humility is everyone pulling for themselves. Look at the three don'ts that Paul gives us. Don't be selfish. Another version of don't be selfish that you may have is let nothing be done in strife. Let nothing be done through strife. Now that word strife and those words don't be selfish actually comes from the implication of the original language that means faction. In other words, don't be in a faction. Let nothing be done through a faction. What in the world is a faction? A faction is a small, dissenting group that breaks away from the larger group. Now think about what the original language is teaching us. Don't be a leader of a faction or a part of a faction. When you are a part of an entire body that is moving in the same direction, to gather together a small group of folks away from that direction is selfish and distracting towards the reason. Ladies and gentlemen, if your leaders are being responsible with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we are leading you to reach out and reach in, if we are making disciples, it is our desire to see you from that water to go to a leader and your Christian influence in the community. If we are fulfilling our responsibility and we don't meet your preference, the worst thing you can do is get up a small group of y'all and start leaving. It's selfish. That's straight from the word of God. Don't be a faction. If you want to leave, leave. Leave quietly. That's the way to do it. It's not, it's not trying to get up a bunch of folks to go with you. Because it's more important. This whole thing is more important than just how a couple of us feel. And just a couple of our preferences. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the reputation of God in the church. 
We need to stop with those preferences and start putting them aside. Look at the greater good. This is why the scripture gets real plain with us and says, hey, don't be selfish. How about that? And then he says, don't try to impress others. Your version may say vainglory. Don't, don't try to impress others. Vainglory. Consider our discussion from previous weeks. Our team's reason is glory. God's glory, not vainglory. What does vainglory mean? Vainglory actually means empty glorying. Empty glorying. Vainglory has to do with those desires within us for self-promotion, to be noticed. Those desires within us to, to, to have self-importance. And we know what those are, and if they're there, because we know ourselves. Even if you can't see that, you can't see our motives, God knows our motives. Did you know that God cares a lot about the attitude of our hearts? Did you know that, that in here this morning, a lot of us have worshipped, but some of us did not? You can sing without worshipping, and that's according to the attitude of your heart. That's, that's how it goes. You can serve, but not want to, and God will count it or he'll not count it because of the attitude of your heart. You see, if you're working for your own self-promotion, your own self-importance, this is for vain glorying. It's empty. It's of no value. Don't try to impress others is what the Scripture says. And then it says, don't look out for your own interest. Don't skip up on here every, every Sunday and every time we get together thinking about how you can be ministered to. Think sometimes about how you can minister to others. What, what, if, what if we come in here every single day, every single time we gather, and what's on our mind is how God can speak to us. Did you know there may be somebody in front of you, behind you, or on the same pew that may need your encouragement today? This, these are selfless instructions. Don't be selfish. Don't, don't try to impress others. Don't look out for your own interests. This is God correcting the church. Now, notice how the Bible corrects our selfishness in verse 3, because God knows us, and I love this. Verse 3, God says to us through his word, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Look there. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Can I ask you a question? Who are you impressed by? I want you to get one person in your mind. Who are you impressed by? Who is somebody, if they, if they walked into the sanctuary now, after everybody has gotten settled, you look up and you see them, you are absolutely impressed. Meaning you're at least going, that is so cool that they're here. You're texting people that they're here. You would love to see them, maybe even to meet them, if you're bold enough to get a selfie with them. Like, you are this awesome that they walked in the room. For some of you, this may be a, a famous person. For others of you, this may be somebody that's, that's just in our community. You have a great respect for them. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Like, if they come in, you get up. Like, you absolutely think that they're awesome. I remember I, I was in college, and I was working at FCA camp, and we were at Black Mountain, North Carolina. And in Black Mountain, North Carolina, we were all playing basketball in the gym. Most of the camp was in, was in this gym in Black Mountain, North Carolina, and there's balls going everywhere, and there's basketball and all this kind of It's great, and we're having a great time. And all of us, there's this guy in the corner that's hanging out with us, and he's kind of part of the week, but the week's kind of part for him. And I don't remember his name, but I remember this. He played running back at the University of South Carolina. And all of a sudden, his football coach at the University of South Carolina walks in the gym, and everything just stops. Because that guy that walked in the gym that day was Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz walks in the gym, and I'm serious. All of the basketballs picked up. Everybody turns their attention because Lou Holtz in South Carolina gear is walking over to this young man to spend some time with him. We were all impressed by him. It's Lou Holtz. 
I actually met him. I walked up to him and I said, Coach Holtz, you don't know me, but I think it's great that you're here. I extended my hand, shook his hand. He's like this tall, y'all. Not for real. I mean, but he's small to the point where I was like, I think I could take you if we had to rumble. You know what I mean? Like, it's Coach Holtz in here. But the whole place stopped and everybody started giving him special attention. Now, think about what God's word's saying here. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. What if we all looked at each other this way? What if we all looked at each other when we all come in the doors? What if we were impressed by, by every single one of, uh, of you and every single one of us in here? Can I ask you a few follow-up questions with that as you are thinking to yourself who this person is that you're impressed by? Would you hold a door open for them? Would you? Yeah, you would. Would you hold a door open from them or for them? Would you show them around? Would you tell them that this is where our student ministry meets? This is where our children's ministry meets? These are where our bathrooms are. This is where we all come together to worship. If you need some hand sanitizer, it's over there. If you need some water, it's over there. This is so-and-so, and we'd introduce them to one or the other. Would you do that for somebody that you're impressed by? Yeah, I would. I certainly would. Would you smile at them? Would you get up from your seat and go over and greet them? Now, some of you are thinking, I wouldn't do that because, you know, I'm bashful and all that. What if they came in here about five different times? You would. I would, too. Would you make them feel welcome? If you're thinking of others as better than yourselves, if somebody comes in and you're pressed by them, would you make them feel welcome, church? Absolutely, we would make them feel welcome. Would you invite them to your group? Would you invite them out to lunch? Would you welcome them back? Would you invite them to come to Toyota Field tonight? Hey, man. Hey, Lou Holtz, man. Uh, this, is, this is crazy, but do you want to come play wiffle ball with me? Right? Like, <laughs> would you do that? Would you, would you invite them back to something that's on the docket for the next up? Let me push on a little further. Would you keep their kids while they sit in worship and become discipled? You would. Oh, man, we, we'd love to do that, but we got kids. Oh, we'll keep them. We do it because we're impressed by them. Think about what the Scripture says. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. God knows how to get to us, don't he? We're impressed by people, and people that we're impressed by will serve. So God just says, that's great. Just look at everybody like you're impressed by all of them. <laughs> that's good, isn't it? God's smart, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And some of you may be thinking, boy, he's serious about that children's ministry stuff, isn't he? Yes, sir. You know why I'm serious about the children's ministry and why we re repetitively mention this? Because sometimes I'm invited to speak at things like revivals because they want to get young folks in there. The, the way that you keep young folks is to be good stewards of their families. Somebody say amen to that. The way that you keep young people and you keep the church growing is to be good stewards of them and, and to serve their families. Yes, not just singling out one ministry, but this is the future of our church we're talking about. If we're worried about our kids' future, let's raise up some missionaries. If we're worried about our kids' future, let's raise up some light in the darkness. If this is what we're worried about, let's pour into their worldview. Amen? God knows how to get to us. Here's how you combat selfishness in the church. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves and see everybody as somebody that you are impressed with. This is the correction that God gives the church. Almost a picture of if we were going out the door, I'll open the door for you. But while I'm opening the door for you, you're opening the door for me. 
And I say, after you. And you're like, after you. Almost to the point of where we're so impressed by each other, it's annoying. Let's work on it. (laughs) Verses 5 through 8, we've reached the command. There's the call, there's the correction, and then there's the command. Now, command is imperative in verse 5. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, says, You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. Now, there's must in there. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. There is no, we would love for you to have. There is not this, it would, it would be beneficial to your church if you would consider. No, no, no. You must, church, have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. Following Christ means certainly following Jesus in word, certainly following Jesus in deed, but it, all, and it, but it also means in attitude. This is our underlying temperament, the underneath disposition. One pastor said it this way, and I love this. He said, outlook determines outcome. Whatever your outlook is when you are coming in, your attitude in is as you are gathering together is what will come out of it. The, the attitude to experience God, to welcome His presence in, to minister to each other, to move in the same direction. If this is our attitude that we brought in here this morning as we got up from our sleep and got into the church, then we're going to accomplish some stuff, y'all. And it's going to be for the glory of God. But if we just get up and wipe our eyes and brush our teeth and do our best and we're finally here and it takes worship to get us to that place, then we'll finally be ready to minister about the time we go home. This is the command... You must have the same attitude, the same underlying temperament. Here's the goal. As that of Jesus Christ. Now see, what's about to happen here is that he's about to provide the credibility for what he's going to ask us to do. If he doesn't want us to be selfish, if he doesn't want us to to look out only for our own interests, if he wants us to agree together, to work together, what's about to happen is he's about to give us some leadership credibility. If you're a leader in here and I'm a leader in here, I can holler and yell all I want to. But if I'm not credible as a leader, it's not going to go anywhere. Just because you talk loud and just because your name's on the sign doesn't mean you're a leader. It has so much to do with the credibility and the influence that you bring to the table. And here's what we're seeing. He is saying, I'm telling you not to be selfish, and I am leading you to be in unity, because that's who Jesus is. Verses 6 through 8, take a look with me. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Verse 7, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, verse 8, he humbled himself. There it is again, twice in three verses. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Lord, take us the rest of the way. I pray we not think about anything else that's to come today instead of this right here. God, that this and this challenge from you and your example would be on our heart and mind in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in these few verses to end on, there's some interpretation challenges. In fact, if you, if, in, fact, in fact, if you read on these few verses in commentaries, these are some of the most challenging verses you may ever read in the Scripture. Because there's some interpretation challenges here because the Scripture says, though he was God. Or maybe in your version of Scripture it says, being in or existing in the form of God. Jesus being in the form of God, though he was God. This is a passage of Scripture to communicate 
an unchanging truth. That the unchanging of essence of Jesus is that Jesus is God. Jesus is not like God. Jesus is God. Jesus is not a manifestation of God. He's not God-like. Jesus is all that God is. This is the teaching of the Scripture. The Scripture teaches that God is God unified in Himself but expressed in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are united as God. But they are distinct in person and in function. Jesus as the Son is Jesus as God. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says, While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. This is why it's important, because the belief that Jesus is God is bedrock to what we believe, y'all. The belief that Jesus is God is bedrock. It's foundational to the truth of our faith. And in order for us to really own our faith, we need to know who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus, as God, lived a perfect life. And nobody else can do that. Nobody. No one. Thought, word, and deed, it's not going to happen outside of God. Jesus is God. So he lived a perfect life. That perfect life led into a sacrificial death for me and for you. Now, others in this world have given up their life for the good of another. That's happened before. But because Jesus is fully God, he's able to accomplish divine intervention for human need. See, his sacrifice is as big as the world because he is God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says, For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He brought back everybody to himself that would through Jesus Christ. If Jesus were just a man, he couldn't have been perfect. If Jesus were just a man, his his sacrifice could not atone for the sins of the world. He is not a sacrifice for sin. He is the sacrifice for sin. The only one you'll hear us talk about, the only one you're going to get under God. And that's what we talk a lot about on Lord's Supper times, which is, by the way, is this Wednesday night. I'd love to see you here for Lord's Supper. But but this is the emphasis that, that He is the sacrifice under God for our sins. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Because Jesus is God. And because He is, His sacrifice is enough to cover all of us. His sacrifice is acceptable before God. Its value is limitless. It's boundless. The scripture says, now keep this in mind, as we talk about who Jesus is, Jesus is God. God is calling us to unity. Here is his example. He is speaking of himself. He's speaking of his son, Jesus. He did not think of himself as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. God gave up his divine privileges. For what? For us. That's how much he thinks of us. Can you believe it? I can't either. When Jesus came to this earth to accomplish the purposes of his Father, now listen, this is where the interpretation gets a little bit difficult, but this is the real interpretation. He did not literally give up his divine privileges. He did not literally empty himself in the sense that he stopped being God or in the sense that he renounced himself as God. The right interpretation to this scripture is that Jesus lowered himself for a season for the sake of man. This is what happened. Now, you and I, hopefully you've seen this. I've watched guys all my life with the total authority to walk into somewhere and pay to get in. 
Meaning there's an event or a function or a game. They're taking money at the door. And I've watched guys, ladies, who have full authority just to skip on up into that function or game because they have the authority to be there. I've watched them lower themselves, take out their wallet, pay to get in, and then go in. Why would they do that? Because for the good of the body and the organization, they are laying their authority aside for a time. This is what Jesus has done for us. He became man but lived perfectly. He came down to this world and he lived a real life and he died a real sacrificial death for me and for you. He did not give up his godliness. He laid it aside just for a time. Lowered himself, humbling himself, emptying himself so that we may benefit. So Paul's just saying because he did that, that's what's expected of you. To lower ourselves, to humble ourselves. Jesus did not use his deity for his own advantage. Listen to these words. Jesus did not exploit his deity to his own selfish ends. And he'd be justified to do so. Why? Because he's God. When you're God, you can do whatever you want to do. And God, in all of who he is, decided that he would lay himself down and lower himself for his creation. The attitude of God and Savior Jesus was to lower himself so that we may have abundant life. So that we may have eternal life. So that we may share in His glory. Sometimes we act like this life is an amusement park. Let me tell you what I mean. We act like every time we enter the room, every time we show up on a day, every time we get up, that the whole world should entertain us. That everything should be to our pleasure, to our liking, and when it's not, we're going to take our ball and go home. We act like life is an amusement park. At an amusement park, that's totally fine. Totally fine. Because you pay to get in. And because you pay to get in, you can do whatever you'd like. Because the entrance has been covered by you. You don't pay to get in this church. God paid for that for you. I didn't, I didn't pay to get in, to be part of it, to be called to minister. God took all that for me. So because of all of that, church, we now are to follow in His steps and do things as he does it. And what he's saying towards the unity of this body, humble yourselves. Lower yourselves. Now think about the language that he uses. Look there in verses 6 and 7. Though he was God, as we're closing, though he was God, he did not think of equality as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. A bondservant. Jesus God Almighty lowered Himself to be a servant for us. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. He showed up with others on His mind. A slave, the Scripture says of God. That He lowered Himself to that level. What else happened? Look at verse 7. Look at verse 8. He humbled Himself in obedience to God and what? He died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus took the position of a criminal, the most despised way to die on a cross of execution. Jesus went on and took all that for us. As Jesus hung beside two convicted criminals, the perfect Son of God took that cross, the cross that you and I should have been on. I know we're getting ready to close. Are y'all with me? 
He, he took that position for us. He lowered himself to the position that whatever is your last sin, the sin that you just had, whether it's in the last second of your mind or the last day or the last week of your life, Jesus went up to that cross and hung there for you. And because he is fully God, he can accomplish your forgiveness because he is. The Son of God lowered himself. Church, if the Son of God lowers himself, and the Scripture says that he is our example to do the same, we better do it. Because I want to stay blessed. Are y'all with me? I'd love for Lindsay Lane to stay blessed, to be in God's favor for a long time. And in order for us to do that, now we've got three campuses. So church, we've got a big responsibility to stay unified. Let me read you this in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. Closing out, last scripture, Isaiah 57, 15, the high and lofty one. I want you to just, just think about this. If you're reading it, fine. I added this in the office between services. Isaiah 57, 15. Listen, listen. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the high and lofty one who lowered himself, who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I live in the high place with those who have lowered themselves, is what God is saying. I restore the crushed spirit and restore the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. So the recall today is for us to lower ourselves, whatever that looks like. It may mean that you've been trusting in yourself to get you and your good works on into heaven. But let me tell you, the scripture just told us that God is going to spend eternity with those that lower themselves. It's to place themselves beneath God, that He is Lord. Have you ever in your life called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? If today is the first day that you've recognized with your heart and mind that He is God and you're not, and in order to go where He is, you've got to lower yourselves, why not today when we start the music, you don't sing, but just in your heart of hearts, and with all the the genuine heart that you've got, you close your eyes and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Simple and serious as that. Jesus, I recognize who you are. Please forgive me. I want to be saved in my ears. Simple and serious. And maybe today the call is to humble yourselves in your family. To start serving one another instead of bickering. In the church, maybe you've been waiting for a good time to step up and take activities of service. Now's the time. Now's the time to lower yourself so that others may be exalted. Consider your response today as we get ready to prepare our hearts to leave this place. Amen. Dwayne's going to come. If you would stand to your feet, I want you to know this altar is open for you. I want you to know we have people here to help you. If you need more answers to the questions you've got, then we're here for you. But right now, let's pray over this response. Amen. Lord God, thank you so much for the challenge to be who we are not on our own. God, that we would lower ourselves for your glory. That we would humble ourselves so that others may be helped. Lord, if there's one or there's many here today that are listening and God, they understand for the first time that the first step to really being saved is just to realize who they are and who they're not and who you are. And I pray, oh God, today that one or many would just in the quietness of their heart would call on you to be saved. Lord, for those who are in Christ, may we take this challenge to remain in unity. May we receive this challenge to lower ourselves and humble ourselves towards the unity of the body. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This altar is open for you.